morning, everyone. I'm DJ, DJ Martin. Uh, my wife's taking care of our kids right now. Julie, we have three children, Coach Gracie and Zach, six, four, and one years old. And um, this morning is a morning that we've been anticipating as a family, and I've been anticipating, and I'm sure uh, that you have as well. So I just want to thank God uh, for bringing uh, all this process together and bringing us to this moment in time. Um, personally, our, our family had a brutal week this week, completely unrelated to ministry or anything. And then um, I get sick like twice a year. And of course, yesterday morning, I woke up and I felt awful, just horrible. And so um, we know that, uh, that the enemy is also at work seeking to attack, uh, but our God is stronger and greater. And so um, just, it would be so helpful to me if we could just take a moment before we start, before we jump into the word, and just rest quietly and just invite the Lord to lead us. So would you join me in that? Let's just quiet our hearts. There's so much going on. And let's just listen to God and let him speak this morning. We welcome you here, Jesus. We thank you for being present. We ask that every word that's spoken would be honoring to you and would be through your spirit. Father, we thank you for your amazing, infinite, incarnate love for us. And God, we pray that we would learn something about you together today, that we would know you better, experience you more together as we engage your word, as we worship, and then as we move to the rest of the events this afternoon. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be continuing in the story of Abraham this morning, but I've also been asked to share a little bit of my personal story. I'm not going to get into too much detail with that um, because in the question and answer time after lunch, you'll get to hear a little bit more about me. But uh, throughout the sermon, I'm just going to tell a few stories about myself and about my family, so hopefully you can get some glimpses into my life and into our family's life. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 17, specifically verses 15 uh, through chapter 18, 19, and it's a big chunk of scripture. So I'm going to be flying through it. And we're actually going to start at the beginning of 17, because if you start in 15, it doesn't make sense uh, without the first part. So we're going to start in verse 1, and I'm going to read all of chapter 17, And then I'm going to read the first 19 verses of chapter 18. This is probably a bigger chunk of scripture than we uh, would normally read um, or normally tackle in a single Sunday morning. So I want to challenge you uh, to just invite the Holy Spirit to keep your imagination focused on the word. And so if you need to follow along and your scriptures do, or if you listen best by just listening or closing your eyes, whatever that is, uh, feel free to do that. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Genesis chapter 17 Verse 1, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. Then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. 
I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. I will no long, you will, it will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give the entire land of Canaan where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and all your descendants have this continual responsibility. This is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. You must cut off the flesh of your foreskin as a sign of the covenant between me and you. From generation to generation, every male child must be circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. This applies not only to members of your family, but also to the servants born in your household and the foreign-born servants whom you have purchased. All must be circumcised. Your bodies will bear the mark of my everlasting covenant. Any male who fails to be circumcised will be cut off from the covenant family for breaking the covenant. Then God said to Abraham regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, her name will be Sarah. And I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. Then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of 100, he thought. And how can Sarah have a baby when she is 90 years old? So Abraham said to God, may Ishmael live under your special blessing. But God replied, no, Sarah, your wife will give birth to a son for you. You will name him Isaac and I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. As for Ishmael, I will bless him also, just as you have asked. I will make him extremely fruitful and multiply his descendants. He will become the father of twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will be confirmed with Isaac, who will be born to you and Sarah about this time next year. When God had finished speaking, he left Abraham. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and every male in his household, including those born there and those he had bought, Then he circumcised them, cutting off their foreskins, just as God had told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. And Ishmael, his son, was 13. Both Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised on the same day, along with all the other men and boys of the household. Whether they were born there or bought as servants, all were circumcised with him. Chapter 18. The Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day, Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day. He looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. My Lord, he said, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. And since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. All right, they said, do as you have said. So Abraham ran back to his tent and said to Sarah, Hurry, get three large measures of your best flour, knead it into dough, and bake some bread. Then Abraham ran out to the herd and chose a tender calf and gave it to his servant, who quickly prepared it. 
When the food was ready, Abraham took some yogurt and milk and the roasted meat, and he served it to the men. As they ate, Abraham waited on them in the shade of the trees. Where is Sarah, your wife? The visitors asked. She's inside the tent, Abraham replied. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself and said, How could a worn-out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is also so old? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, Can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. But the Lord said, No, you did laugh. Then the men got up from their meal and looked out towards Sodom. As they left, Abraham went with them and sent them on to send them on their way. Should I hide my plan from Abraham? The Lord asked. For Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. What a miracle it is that we have the scriptures today. They've survived all sorts of attacks from the enemy. They've survived um, thousands of years. God, and the fact that we have these stories that reveal the way that you have worked, are working, and will work among us, God, is just such a gift to us. And when we encounter your written word, God, who we're actually seeking after is the living word, Jesus. And so as we engage the written text, the story of Abraham today, some of my personal story, my family story, the story that we really want to hear, God, is Jesus, the story of Jesus, the story of your son. So we just ask that you would speak in whatever way you desire. Thank you for your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. I shared this story with the uh, luncheon at, with the Helping Hands groups at the Limerick Diner a couple weeks ago, but it just fits so well. I got I to gotta tell it again, and you'll get to know my family a little bit better. Our son, our oldest son, his name is Coach. And perhaps you're like basically everyone else who's ever met him and wondering why in the world is he called Coach? Who calls their son Coach? Well, when I was nine years old, my family moved to the southern Philippines and we lived on the island of Mindanao in the city of Cagayan de Oro for seven years. And my parents were part of a team that did church planting on this island, and the island is predominantly a Muslim island, but the city that we were in was a Catholic city, and the goal of the church plant was to plant a church that would send native Filipinos to the Muslim people groups of the southern Philippines as missionaries. Now, these are tribal groups that you and I could not go to. If we went to, we would immediately be kidnapped or killed, um, kidnapped for ransom or killed based on um, our culture and skin color. So it is not safe um, even to step foot for a Westerner in these tribal groups. And yet Filipinos, because they look the same and they speak the same languages, can go in and be effective missionaries. And so that church, praise God, uh, was planted about 18 years ago and is today sending missionaries 
uh, native Filipinos into the unreached people groups of the southern Philippines. So while we were there, my, my dad and mom had the specific goal on this team. They were to do ministry to young adults. And so they were the young adult missionaries. And my parents are pretty creative. And so one of the ways that my dad decided to build relationships in the southern Philippines was he loves baseball. And he found out that one of the local college, one of the local Catholic universities, Xavier University, had a baseball team, but they didn't have a coach. So it was a bunch of Filipino kids trying to figure out the game of baseball with no one to teach them, with really bad equipment. And so what my dad did was he, he volunteered to become the university coach at Xavier University. And so he did this for several years. He was uh, the, the lead baseball coach at Xavier University in Cagandiro. So when I was growing up in the Philippines, all the Filipinos um, that I grew up around called my dad coach. So they would always call him coach. And they were in our house every day. Six out of seven days of the week, we had people eating with us. That was the, the style that my parents chose for our home. It was just constant community, constant outreach, constant people in and out. It was a really fun way and exhausting at times uh, to grow up. But my dad was coach. So when I was 12 years old, I don't know, this probably tells you something about how strange of a person I am. But when I was 12 years old, I walked up to my dad and I said, Dad, I'm going to have a firstborn son, and when I do, I'm going to name him Daryl after you, and I'm going to call him Coach. And my dad looked at me, and I remember the look in his face. He just looked at me like, what? And then he just started laughing, and he was like, that's really cool. You should probably ask your wife about that. (laughs) So uh, Julie and I got married uh, just over eight years ago, and on our first wedding anniversary, uh, we found out that she was pregnant. It was a complete surprise. We weren't trying, but we were so thankful that God uh, worked that way. And so a couple months later, we found out that we were having a boy. And so, of course, I said to Julie, well, you know what I'm calling him? I'm calling him Coach. And she was like, oh, man. DJ, you can, you can call him coach. I don't know that me or anyone else is going to call him that. that. That can be your nickname. I'm like, all right, I'm good with that. That can be my special nickname for my son, and other people can call him that. So um, the day he was born, since then, well, since like 11 years before he was born, something like that, this kid has had a name, coach. And um, even before he was formed in the womb, before uh, he was knit together before I even knew who he would be. God had already put this name there, which is interesting. And so um, I started calling him coach, and it stuck. Everybody calls him coach. Nobody calls him any other name. Mom calls him coach. Sister calls him coach. Grandparents calls him coach. Everyone calls him coach. And um, I want it to be a blessing in his life, because that's what names are supposed to be, right? They're supposed to be a blessing. And I've had a couple people say to me, well, what if he doesn't like sports? I'm like, okay, who cares? There's all sorts of coaches, business coaches, there's spiritual coaches, there's athletic coaches, there's all sorts of of coaches, but for this kid, I felt like it was important for whatever reason that this would be an identity that he carries from way before he was born through the rest of his life, that he, something in him is to coach, he's to be a leader in that way, and so he is uh, growing into those shoes very well and likes to take charge of his friends and organize all sorts of events. And so we also need to help as parents shape that, 
Like you don't do that in mean ways. You do that in kind ways. You also enter into what other people like, not just what you like, and that, and that sort of thing. I walked into his classroom a couple months ago. Well, this is about a year and a half ago. I walked into his preschool classroom, and he had a line of about 10 kids lined up, and he had a sheet of paper, and they were signing up to be in his police squad, one at a time, <laughs> signing up to be in his police squad that he was forming for Drexel Hill because Drexel Hill needed a, a junior police squad. So... So God has a, a blessing of, of coaching on, on this, this kid's life, which says something about naming. Naming is this theme in Scripture that shows up over and over again. People are renamed. Uh, think about Abram, Abraham, Sarai, Sarah, uh, Peter, become, or Simon becomes Peter, Saul becomes Paul, Jacob becomes Israel. God often in scripture, chooses to rename someone. And names have meaning, and they have purpose. As parents, the best we can do is just kind of guess and bless, right? So this baby is born, and you're like, what am I going to call it? Okay, here's the name. Our daughter's name is, is Grace Anna, which means grace upon grace. And we hope that in her life, she can walk that out. Now, we have no idea when she was born, we have no idea who she was or who she'll become. If you are a parent and you think you know what your kid would be like, you're crazy, right? Because they're complete mysteries to us. They're total mysteries to us. I have my one-year-old baby boy, I have no idea who he is. And so every day is a learning experience. Every single day, I'm like finding out, who are you? What do you like? What are you interested in? How has God shaped you? So as parents, the best we can do is sort of just give a blessing. Like, let this be your name. Zechariah means the Lord remembers. So for all your life, Zach, I want you to know that the Lord sees you and he remembers you. Gracie, for your whole life, I want you to know that the grace, the favor of God rests upon you. Daryl, coach, Daryl the third, coach, I want you to know your whole life that God has a calling and a mission for you. That's, that's, how we, that's how we name as parents. But then there's also a different kind of naming in Scripture, and we see this in Genesis. And this kind of naming isn't prescriptive, like a parent names their child kind of prescribing. It's descriptive. It's the kind of naming where you see someone and then you name it. You ever have someone, when you were younger, tell you you were good at something and no one else had ever told you that before? And then it, like, named you? You're like, oh, yeah. I am good at that. That was naming. That person named you. So in Genesis 2, it says, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Ouch. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. So Eve comes out of Adam. Adam sees her. He looks at her, and he says, You are me outside of me. When I see you, I see me, but it's not me, it's you. You're woman. That's descriptive naming, right? He sees her, and then he names it. But he's not done naming her, because then the fall happens, and God curses the ground, and then he tells Eve that she's going to bear children. So then 
the naming gets deeper. Then the man, this is in chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. So now there's a deeper level of naming. Not only are you me outside of me, you're like me, you can actually do things that I can't do. You can give birth. You're Eve. This is a descriptive naming. Your whole life, God is naming you. From the moment you were born, actually well before you were born, from the beginning of creation to this moment to the very end of your life, God is naming you. And if you ever get stuck, no matter if you're 99 years old like Abram, and you cannot receive that new name, or the constant sharpening of that name, the refining of that name, then you'll never be able to live out the full destiny of his calling in your life. God is naming you today. He's naming me today. He's naming Parker Ford today. He is constantly describing to us who we are meant to be and who we are. But first notice that in the renaming process, and this is so key, that God first names himself. Before he will name you, before he will name me, he names himself. When Abram was 99 years old, do we have any 99-year-olds in here? Any 90? So Julie's great-grandma just passed away this summer. She was 106 years old. It was amazing. My, my great-grandma died when she was 98, so if you put the two of them together, that's a life. That's a life. 106 years old. So when Abram was nine, so older than anyone in this room, well older than anyone in this room, when he was that old, God shows up and says, I've got a new name for you. That's pretty cool. You might be sitting in here, and perhaps you're in your late 80s, perhaps you're uh, a child, but just know this, that God has a name for you today. He's got a name that he wants to speak to you, and you can't outgrow it. You can't get too old for it. It's impossible. Because what's 99 years to God? Gone. 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 When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him, or M, in this translation, sorry about that, and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. He doesn't show up to Abram and say, here I am, your new name is Abraham. He shows up and says, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. He first tells Abraham about himself. He first gives a new name about himself to Abram because Abram will never be able to receive his new name unless he can first hear the name of God spoken over him. I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. God's about to rename Abram to Abraham, which means the father of nations. That's impossible. He's 99 years old, and he and his wife are barren. They can't have kids. He cannot receive the name Abraham until he has first received the name El Shaddai, God Almighty. And so God shows up and says, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. 
when Abraham hears that and sees God in a new and deeper way, he can then hear God say to him, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. Whatever name God is naming you personally, whatever name God is naming me, whatever name God is giving to Parker Ford Church or any other ministry or any other family or any other church in this region, he always first declares his name over you. Because you will not be able to step into that identity until you have first received his identity. It doesn't work the other way. You will not be able to step into your identity in Christ, your name in Christ, until you have first received the name of God, the identity of himself that he is speaking and revealing over you, his character, his heart, his love. So I want you to think for a minute, take a moment. What is the name of God? Before thinking about the way that God is naming you, because that's where our minds want to go, right? How's God naming me? What's he saying over me? That's a good question to ask, and that's fine. But first, before asking that, I want you to quietly, in your heart, ask God, what is the name that you are declaring over me yourself? So go ahead. Invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you. It can be as simple as just saying, Spirit, speak your name over me. In my family, um, Julie and I were briefly talking about this the other day. I sensed three names, that, three ways that God has been declaring himself over me personally, over our marriage, over Julie, over our family. He's been saying, um, I am provider. He's been saying, I'm the one who builds the house. And he's been saying, I'm your good shepherd. So I'm provider. I'm the one who builds the house, and I am your good shepherd. In this Sunday school room over here, there's a plaque that says, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers uh, labor in vain. I meant to grab it and bring it in here this morning because I thought that was so cool when I walked in and saw that because that's, that's from that verse is where God has been saying, I'm the builder. So as we've engaged the process with Parker Ford, um, there's been so many questions. Well, what's going to happen with Drexel Hill? How's that going to work for our family? How's that going to work at Parker Ford? How does that make sense? Are you, like all the financial questions, all the moving questions, all the questions and questions and questions. And God says, I build the house. I build the house. And if I'm the builder, then you don't have to worry about any of that. If I'm the one building the house. Furthermore, I'm provider. I provide for you. And so I will provide every single thing that you or your family or your wife or your children, anything that you need, Drexel Hill, Parker Ford, I will provide it. And what's more than that, I'm the good shepherd, which means not only do I build and not only do I provide, but I'm actually with you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I lack for no good thing. He leads me to green pastures, and still waters. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. His rod and staff, they comfort me. His presence will follow after me all the days of my life. Okay, 
if that's true, then you can say whatever you want to me. You can name me in whatever way. You can send me to any place. You can send my family. You can ask us to do anything. If that's true about you, then it doesn't matter what you're going to ask us to do because you're going to build and you're going to provide and you're going to be with me. Abram, you're going to be the father of many nations. No, I'm not. I've tried. It didn't work. And I'm 99 years old and my wife is 90. I am L. Shaddai, God Almighty. And when Abram receives that God is, you know, Abram didn't have the Bible. You know that, right? He didn't know God like we know God. He didn't have the scriptures. He didn't have Jesus. He had a voice speaking inside his head. So God's character is being revealed to Abram step by step, little by little. He, he didn't He didn't have the benefit of being on this side of the cross like we do. It's all mystery to him. And so when God shows up and says, I'm God Almighty, that's news to him. He didn't actually know that about God. Because the way he grew up and the way his family grew up was there are many gods. Gods of the hills, gods of the valleys, gods of the rivers, gods of the trees, gods of the stars. And so when God shows up and says, I'm God Almighty, that's brand new information from Abram. And when he receives that, I can be Abraham. Absolutely, I can be Abraham. Then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. Okay, so immediately the writer changes his name to Abram, so he's no longer addressed as Abram. Then Abram bowed down to the ground, so it's worship, He's bowing down, he's submitting to the Lord, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. He's still struggling with this flesh, trying to work it out. How could I become a father at the age of 100, he thought, and how can Sarah have a baby when she is 90 years old? So Abraham said to God, may Ishmael live under your special blessing. But God replied, no, Sarah, your wife will give birth to a son for you, You will name him Isaac, and I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. All right, two more names. Abram gets a new name based on El Shaddai, and then now Sarah is going to get the name Sarah. Sarai and Sarah both mean princess, so it's almost like a re-emphasis. It's like your name was princess, your name is princess. Now, in order to be a princess, you either have to be the daughter of a king or you have to um, be the mother of someone who becomes king. Otherwise, you're not a princess. I mean, you might be a Disney princess, but you're not a princess. Sarah, her name means princess. When she has the child Isaac, and we know Christ and all the kings, the true kings of Israel come through that line, she becomes princess through giving birth to Isaac. So God renames her princess. Then he doesn't stop there. He actually gives their son, who is a year out from being born, he says, your son is going to be called Isaac. Anyone know what Isaac means? He laughs. He laughs is the the literal laughter. He laughs. Specifically, he laughs. Now, we see Abram laughing, Abraham laughing here. What, What kind of laughter is Abraham's laughter? It's disbelief. It's cynical. It's hardened. 
Have you ever laughed like that? I have. And when I do, man, I know I'm in a bad spot. When I'm laughing cynically, when I'm laughing hard-heartedly or sarcastically, I know that there needs to be some serious heart check going on. Because God, I th- I'm like convinced this is true, God in, in all of his existence, in all of his interaction with creation, has never had a laughter that was not birthed out of joy and love. So Abraham's laughing, but his laughter is hard-hearted and cynical in disbelief. <laughs> yeah, that's going to happen. And then the story, we're going to run out of time, I'm not going to be able to get there, but the next story where the three visitors show up at their tent, then Sarah laughs. Again, the same disbelieving, cynical laughter. How could an old, dried-up woman like me have that kind of pleasure, she says. God says, you're laughing now, Abraham. In a year, I'll be the one laughing. But my laughter is not cynical. My laughter is not hard-hearted or dried up because when God laughs, it's like laughter like it was meant to be. God does not laugh at you. He does not laugh hard-heartedly. I think he chuckles and enjoys our personalities. I think he chuckles when we, you know, slip or whatever, do silly things. But when he laughs, it's birthed out of joy. Anybody else a fan of the Chronicles of Narnia the, and Aslan? And when, or or um, we'll include more people, or um, the Lord of the Rings and Gandalf. Like the picture of Gandalf laughing or the picture of Aslan laughing, just the joy of this like just epic laughter that just sucks you in. That's the laughter of God. And he says, your son is going to be named Isaac. He laughs. And so who's laughing? Who's laughing? God's laughing. I'm the one laughing. You're right. This is hilarious. Because you're 100 years old and you're 91 and you're going to have a baby. That's funny. That's really funny. Man, I feel like I'm 99 sometimes when I have a baby at home. I can't imagine what that was like. Teething? Sarah's like, man. Isaac, go to sleep. Crazy. God's laughing. He is chuckling. He's belly laughing. It's so funny. It's so cool. It's so good. Paul talks about this in Galatians 4. He says, tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. Who's that? Ishmael. Man, that caused a lot of trouble, didn't it? And it still is today. That, that choice that Abraham made to sleep with Hagar, uh, someone not covenanted to him in marriage, not same flesh, not his Eve, that is still reaping consequences to this day. The son of the... Sl- I was reading this commentary earlier this week that was saying Abraham didn't doubt, which is just ridiculous. Abraham's just like us. We're in good company. He wrestled with and struggled and... And, and had questions and all of these things, but he kept walking. He kept listening. 
the son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. What I said earlier, I really believe is true. Abraham, when, it, when his journey started 30 years before this time, he knew very little about God. God is going to keep revealing himself. And this understanding of God progressively revealing himself is one of the keys to understanding the story where God asks him to sacrifice Isaac. Because what did all the gods of that land ask from the people who worshiped them? Child sacrifice. And as far as Abraham knows, God's just like that. And so it's only in literally walking his child up to the mountain, his hand raised over his child, and God stops him and says, I'm not like that. That's not who I am. So Abraham learned something about God that we are still reaping the benefits of to this day. God demands our children, but not for child sacrifice. He demands our children so that he can bless them and they can live in his kingdom. The enemy is the one who demands our children for sacrifice. That's Satan. That's idol. That is not Jesus. Jesus demands our children so that he can bless them. Let the little children come to me. So God is revealing himself progressively to Abraham. And in his human attempts to walk this thing out, he, he's, he's trying to make it happen in his own strength, but he's missing this key understanding of God, that God is almighty, and he can make it happen. Abraham was counted righteous because of his faith. He believed God. He received the name of God. When God said to him, I am El Shaddai, despite all of the evidence to the contrary, despite all the struggles and the wrestles, Abraham chose to receive and believe that. You are El Shaddai. You are God Almighty. And then a year later, he and his wife were belly laughing with God, with their little guy, Isaac, chuckling in their arms. Now, I don't know about you, but I know that there are things that God has named in me that I don't fully understand or I don't fully know yet. And I'm often tempted to fulfill them in human strength. In a human attempt to bring out the fulfillment of God's promise. So this is cool. I've never said this to anyone. You're the first people to ever hear this. About six years ago, my wife and I were at Cornerstone Christian Fellowship in Lebanon for like seven years. About six years ago, which was a couple years before we left Cornerstone, Um, I was in here in this sanctuary doing like a prayer event or something. And I had this strong impression that I was supposed to be a pastor here. And I was going to say something about it. And then the Lord was like, nope, keep your mouth shut. Okay. So I figured I'd be like associate pastor or like something like that. Like help out like uh, the guys who who were doing their thing here. And um, there's always this temptation to make it happen in human strength, right? There wasn't time. And so I'm glad I kept my mouth shut. I was not ready at that point. Um, And God had something better and something fuller in in his picture. And so when I stand here today, I just think that's really cool. That's El Shaddai. That's God Almighty. That's not human strength. That's something that only God can bring full circle and bring to fruition. Um, There are things like that in my life that um, he's whispered that I'm holding on to and I've been holding on to. I've got one that I've been holding on to for a long, long time and I would love to make it happen today. 
And I've tried to make it happen at times. But God's going to make it happen when it's the right time. Because he's El Shaddai. He's God Almighty. And it might be when I'm 99 years old. And that's fine. I could live that old. I mean, my great-grandma was 98. <laughs> no, the one who's going to live a really long time is Julie. She's going she's gonna to live a nice long life, which is awesome. When I was, um, the church that Julie and I grew up in together, we grew up in the same church in St. Louis, Hope Church. It was a massive uh, missions church, mission supporting church. And twice a year, they threw week-long, huge missions conferences. Every night of the week, there was activities. Missionaries from all over the world would come. It was epic, and it was awesome. It was so cool as a kid to have that experience. My parents were my Sunday school teachers at the time in the four- and five-year-old class. I was four years old, and there was a missionary in our classroom from the Philippines. And this missionary kept talking about the Philippines, and I kept asking question after question after question after question. And finally, the missionary said to me, DJ, why do you have so many questions? And I said to him, I'm going to be a missionary in the Philippines someday. My parents were standing in the back of the room, and they were like, oh, that's cute. Maybe he's going to go on a short-term missions trip or something to the Philippines. Then... Um, Four years later, they were invited to church plant in the southern Philippines. And th- after they had prayed about it and felt like the Lord was calling them to do that, they came to their children. I'm the oldest, and so they came to me, and they said to me, DJ, this is what we're praying about. And I said, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> told you? If I, when I was four years old, had been like, okay, I'm going today. I'm going right now. We're gonna, God told me we're supposed to be missionaries in the Philippines. That's, that's the way he named me. I'm supposed to make this happen. How ridiculous. As a four-year-old, I've got a four-year-old daughter. She can't make it out the door without me. Let alone 13,000 miles across the world. That's probably a more accurate picture than you think (laughs) for us trying to make the naming of God happen or the promises of God happen. We are that four-year-old child who has absolutely zero ability to make the naming or the promises of God happen unless... We can hear him say, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. What happens to those who wait on the Lord? He renews their strength. They rise up on wings like eagles. Run and not grow weary, walk and not. There are promises that God has spoken to you. There's a name that God is speaking to you today. Do not Try to make it happen in your own strength. Let the Lord declare his name over you. Let him speak to you, whatever the name is, the multitude of names of God that he's speaking over you. Because whatever your mission is, whatever the name is that he's given you, it will be directly connected to the name that he is giving you of himself. Which is why he said to Moses, when Moses said, how am I supposed to walk out this mission? God says, I am sent you. The one who is. I am. I'm with. I will be. I am forever. I am sent you. Yahweh. Worship team, I'm going to invite you up at this point. We're going to sing one of my favorite songs. I ask that we would close with this song this morning in our worship time. It's called Here in Your Presence. And um, the whole song is just about recognizing and welcoming the presence of God. Worship is based in presence. We don't worship something that we're not with or someone that we're not with. When we worship Jesus, 
We worship him. He's present with us, right? We believe that. We're not singing to an empty ceiling. We're not singing to uh, just an empty, empty symbolic cross. We're singing to the living God who is present with us. This living, present God, the one whose presence we are soaked in and we are welcomed and beckoned into every single day is declaring over you his name today. So receive it. He is declaring over Parker Ford a name today. So Parker Ford Church, receive it. He is declaring over you his name and he also has a name for you. He wants to rename you. He wants to redefine that name. He wants to refine the name that he has given you and he wants to walk it out with the power that he gives. So Jesus, we receive your name this morning. You are El Shaddai, God Almighty. We receive you as Yahweh, we receive you as Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is my provider. Lord, we receive the name of Jesus, the name at which every knee will bow and every tongue confess to the glory of the Father. We receive the name of, of you are the God of our fathers, you are the God of Abraham, you are the God of Isaac, you are the God of Jacob. We receive your name, God, this specific name that you are declaring over us today. Lord, you are Holy Spirit. You are Comforter. You are Good Shepherd. You are the gate. You are the door. God, you are the light of the world. Every name that you have for us, God, we just welcome it and we pray that you would declare it over us and that we would be like Abraham and even though we fall and even though we struggle with doubt, God, that we would keep walking and keep chasing after you and keep letting yourself reveal you to us. You want to teach us something. If you are 99 years old today, God has something new for you about himself. If you are six years old today, God has something new for you today. Receive it. If you are 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or 80, wherever you are, God is not done with you. And he is speaking to you. And he is speaking through his presence and his word. He is speaking through the community of God. And he is declaring his name. God, we thank you. We worship you. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let's stand and sing together.